0: Welcome to this week's episode of Quiddity on the Circe Podcast Network, where we engage in the classical spirit of inquiry. I'm your guide, Brandon LeBlanc. Before we get to this week's episode, I want to take a moment to invite you all to join us for our fall regional conference, The Face of God. October 7th and 8th, we will be hosted by Dominion Classical School in Sterling, Virginia, just outside D.C. We've all been reminded the last few years how important a human face is, especially for those that acknowledge that we are the image of God. When face-to-face interaction is obscured by a mask or is mediated through a screen where the image can be filtered or simply turned off, what do we lose? Are we in some way obscuring the face of God? We are not interested in having a political debate, but we are interested in seeking the face of God as the psalmist, Moses, and innumerable saints sought it before us. And we are interested in seeking in a way that honors the Imago Dei in us, soul, mind, and body. Please join us as we reflect with Vegan Guarion, Tracy Lee Simmons, and many more on the face of God especially in the light of nurturing the souls of our children and students who live in the light or the shadow of our faces. For more information, visit searcyinstitute.org fall 2022. That's backslash fall 2022. Okay, today we have a good old-fashioned rumble, an epic battle of the utmost importance. Fantastic Fight Club, Fables versus Fairy Tales. Which is more important? In this corner, weighing in all the way from ancient Rome, on behalf of Fables... Mr. Dr. Matthew Bianco. And in this corner, weighing in from the Enchanted Forest on the outskirts of Oxford for Fairy Tales, Katarina Kern. Let's have a clean fight and may the best wilding creature win.
1: We're here at the Searcy Institute where we talk all things philosophy, literature, goodness, all the good stuff. Thanks for joining us again today. And today we're going to discuss fairy tales and fables. This this question has come up because we both have pretty strong opinions about fairy tales and fables. And we've debated a little bit before about which one is better for children. And I've spent a good bit of time in the last couple of weeks comparing them and wondering which one is better. So I kind of jokingly make it sound like obvious, haha. fairy tales are better, because I do take the side of fairy tales but I'm still kind of working it out and still kind of filling out my personal Annie on this. So I wanted to hash it out, um, to see if there's things that I'm I'm not, if there's things I haven't yet considered that I ought Mm. to consider. So, um, is that a good question? Should we work with, when we're talking about fairy tales versus versus fables, is it a good starting place to think about how well do they teach children? And then, or which one is more useful for teaching children? Or should we just say which one is better in like kind of a vague sense? It just seems maybe like it would be helpful to narrow it down to how it teaches how it teaches us as adults and children perhaps. Yeah,
2: I, I think that it's important to note first that you have very dogmatically declared that fairy tales are superior to fables or yeah. better than fables. I have, yeah. And then I have um, less dogmatically, but have declared that fables are better than fairy tales. And then I have then later, not so much has been accused, but just treated and assumed as if that means I don't like fairy tales at all, which is kind of a bizarre leap to make. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I mean, I look, I follow you on Twitter. <laughs> I know what you say about me on Twitter, I and said I can no, see that, wasn't... that you're accusing me of disliking and hating fairy tales when all I said was that I love fairy fables.
1: I just challenged you to name a fable that was turned into an epic poem. But we can...
2: well, you, I challenge you to name a fairy tale that was put to verse by Socrates. <laughs> see what I mean? It's such a ridiculous, it's such a ridiculous standard of criteria. <laughs> okay.
1: That's fair. All right. Anyway, I, I have really dogmatically said it, but now I'm acknowledging. I'm positioning myself at the beginning and acknowledging that I'm willing to be wrong on this. This
0: this
2: YouTube series that we're doing here, this Calypso's Island, it is not a it is not a debate series.
1: No, it's not. It's two it not.
2: brilliant minds <laughs> trying to come together, but then they're unavailable, so we do it instead. <laughs> yeah. <And laughs> <laughs> trying to learn and discover, you know, the fullness of truth and reality. So.
1: Right, right. I view it as like filling out our Annie, hashing it out, looking at, yeah. looking at all, yeah. all the perspectives. So, so let's pick our question. Let's narrow down our question first for the audience, and so that we can be talking about the same thing.
2: But, but for the audience' sake, for those of you who who appreciate the. The, the dialectic struggle of two counterpoints, right? Yeah. We're B- beginning the conversation. You're taking, I mean, you're assuming you've assumed to the, up to this point that fairy tales are greater or better. <laughs> and I'm I would argue if if we were going to be forced into a debate, I would argue fables are better.
1: Yeah, I certainly lean towards fairy tales and you certainly lean towards fables. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it would be a surprise to either one of us to change our mind at this point, I think.
0: Like I would impossible.
1: have to <laughs> I would have to be surprised by new information in order to change my perspective, mm-hmm. and I think the mm-hmm. same is true for you. Right. So that means we're pretty staunchly on our sides, but willing to move, and I think that's a pretty fine place to start.
2: But then for those people who don't like con- con- uh, controversy or like that don't like um, conflict, mm-hmm. then those people should know that we're both trying to understand the opposite view. Yeah. And neither of us actually dislike the other.
1: Yes. Right? <laughs> Important okay. <laughs> points, yes. Yeah. We do like each other. We enjoy having the conversation. We are genuinely trying to understand each other's perspectives better, and hopefully, that will come to at least a better understanding of what these two things are. If not, that fairy tales are better, right?
2: And and I can prefer fables while still liking fairy tales, and you can prefer fairy tales while still liking fables. Yeah, yeah, okay.
1: Yes, yeah. We'll, we'll grant that. Okay. <laughs> we'll allow it. <laughs> Okay, so the question that we've hashed out before, but not fully, was are fairy tales or fables better? Mm-hmm. Do we want to keep it that vague, or should we narrow it down to which is better for teaching children?
2: Um, I, we can do the narrower one, if you want. And we're typically talking about these these stories for children in our day. Yeah. I mean, I don't know that the ancient Greeks and the early Christians and the medievals were, but...
1: Okay. Well then we could just say which are better for teaching any any audience, adults or children. We could just leave it open. The audience can be open for yeah. that. Okay. Okay. Let's do that. Sounds good. All right. Fables. <laughs> Why? What's your what's your what's your point? Your points. What are your um, points?
2: Um Well, okay. I'll 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 do I'll just do one initially. Okay. Um the uh uh, the, the, as I understand fairy tales, and then this could become a definitional question uh, issue, okay. right? So we're using the words differently, therefore we
0: mm-hmm. include
2: different things. But I te- typically think of fairy tales as um, you know stories that have a fairy element to them. So there's some sort of kind of spiritual, supernatural element to them. And i I know that that the fairy tales that we that we think about the ones that we think of when we think of fairy tales like, mm-hmm. you know, Hansel and yeah, Cinderella and Beauty and the Beast and um, stuff like that, uh, that, that those fairy tales come to us primarily from sources like Grimm, the Grimm Brothers and Hans Christian Anderson and those folks. Um, but I also recognize that they are pulling from much, much older stories, and in some cases stories that are as old, or even older than the Bible, perhaps, um, or some, at least much of the Bible, um, that are that are as old, or or uh, older than even some of the myths and fables and stuff like that that might be out there, right? Mm-hmm. Um, however, my understanding of the fairy tales still is that they are at, at a more popular level, like being used as part of education, is more. Um, more recent than, say, the fable, Aesop's Fables. Aesop's Mm -hmm. Fables were more of the primary tool for education um, in the ancient Greek and Roman world than, say, some of these fairy tales that ended up in Grimm or Anderson.
1: Yeah, what do you mean by education in that sentence?
2: Leading out of... (laughs) (laughs)
1: do you mean formal education like a teacher would have taught the fable to the child or do you mean the development of children so education which could have taken place in the home with the mother like it seems like
2: well I couldn't make a distinction I wouldn't know if there was a distinction between those two I don't know if moms read something to their children that's different than what a tutor might have read to the children so I couldn't say so I would have to say I'm using them interchange I mean I'm using to include both but I don't actually know Okay. I have no idea what a Greek mom read to her son, what what mm-hmm. Penelope read to Telemachus that Menelaus didn't. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah, but if the fairy tales did exist then then they were being told as a part of the oral tradition. And they did, like many of the fairy tales like you said, are even older than any other written scripture that we have or written text that we have. And so if if it then existed through that time, then it only existed through being told. I mean that's the nature of oral stories. If they weren't told, they died. So the fact that it lived meant it was being told. So it was being used in some form of relationship between parent and child,
2: and in some place. True. But I don't know. I, I mean, I don't. I don't know the history of fairy tales um, as well as I could. But the uh, as I understand it, the fairy tales that have come to us, they they aren't. Those that are older than Grimm and, Chris and Anderson and those guys, I don't know them to be, to have their providence in ancient Greece.
1: Oh, right, right. So,
2: so if we're talking about the ancient Greek world, it's fables that were being used, to edu- yeah. and myths that were being used to educate their children, not right. the fairy tales. If there were fairy tales there, they were few and far between and less common than fables and myths. So, that, if that's true, and, you know, some literary scholar out there may know mm-hmm. even more, right, know better. But um, if that's true, then, you know, the one of the first reasons I would prefer fables to fairy tales in the world of education is because it, it was fables that gave us what the ancient Greeks produced, not fairy tales. So clearly fables are capable of producing very, very brilliant thinkers, artists, historians. Um, and I, then I, I, I mean, I think that there's something, there's something, um, there's something, I mean, fairy tales are fables are capable in that sense. And then, so they're good, for, they're, they're capable educators.
1: So, but just because the stories were being told then, and they were being used in the education system, System. I use that very loosely Um, doesn't mean that they caused all of the genius that we receive out of ancient Greece right just because they were just because the fables existed there and we're being told doesn't mean that they were the cause of all the things that you're well clearly not because there
2: were enormous numbers of people in ancient Greece that didn't go on to do those wonderful brilliant things
1: right you just said that we see that they're there and so they they caused all of this. But just because they're there doesn't mean that they're a cause.
2: Well, but they were there as part of that education, which would contribute to now I don't mean cause like monocausal, like there's one thing that created the genius, but they uh but it's contributing to that as as one of a number of things. Like, I don't know, their diet, their environment, their they're gods, whatever, um, you know, it's one, it's one component to all of that, that we, that, that can't be isolated. And I don't think that, and I don't think it could be rejected as having participated in that.
1: Yeah. I think, I think it would have to be proven that we'd have to prove cause if there, if we were just, I mean, there's a million things that were present there in their education. So just by simply noting that it was present doesn't mean that it was, crucial or important or helped contribute in a positive way interesting I mean I think I mean, that I, don't,
2: I think I absolutely disagree with that really? yeah I, I mean you know with, I without if, if I'm going to be required to prove it through like unaided rational logical syllogisms then sure I can't do it cause and effects I can't do it but I mean, I don't know. This is why I'm part of classical education, because I think the education that those folks were getting produced the kinds of people that we want to produce. And um, I don't I don't bother going back and trying to prove all of that logically or cause and effectually. Okay. It's just reasonable to me to assume that, to believe that. And to believe all of the things that it doesn't do, that it can't do. Like I don't expect, you know, just because it produced a Socrates and, and Aristotle and uh, Plato and a uh, Cicero, um, but it also had no effect on or li- you know lesser effect on countless other people. So I don't expect classical education or the fables to be perfect educators and perfectly produce perfect people constantly or brilliant people.
1: Yeah. Okay. Okay. I can grant you that. Personally, I would want to do research on exactly what education the people you named received, but that's neither here nor there. That's just my own personal. Um, what's the word? Nitty picky. What? What? Picky. what's the word? What's the? Am not
2: helping you with this? Losing. That you don't know the word nitpick. I'm, I'm no, not, not I'm not telling you.
1: No. The. There's a different word that I'm looking for. It doesn't matter. Chris Nickety. Uh, maybe that's not it either, but similar. Anyway, we can move past that. Um, I'm not going to be able to move past it mentally, but I'm going to have to. OK, so if if we think about, if I grant that, that it was a really fundamental part of education in ancient Greece, therefore it should be a fundamental part of all classical education. I don't know if I do grant it, but I'll, I'll, I will for the purpose of the conversation grant it. Um, Can we see other cultures and other times when classical education has used fables as a foundation? And can we contrast that with times where fairy tales were really important? Because it's possible that they're both really excellent. Right? Just like maybe fables are really fantastic and wonderful, but maybe fairy tales are equally or more so. So I think we have to consider, if we're going to use that historical mode of exploring the question, then it would be worthwhile to think about other times that have used these
2: stories. Yeah. And I mean, I think whoever's on the side of fairy tales is responsible to bring that argument. Not me. <laughs> Are
1: there times that fables have been the foundation? What about, what about in the Renaissance when we had this resurgence of classical thought? What type of stories were they, were they telling?
2: I don't know. I stopped, I stopped paying attention to education past the Romans.
1: <laughs> <laughs> See, I, Okay necessarily know if looking at all the different, not what I'm saying is going to be crazy because we're in classical education, but I don't know if the best way to look at these types of stories, these genres is to examine different modes of education and different cultures and then see which one was most effective at that time and place. Because there's so many variables that contribute and it's almost impossible to prove a causal relationship and it's extremely hard to figure out who, which, which people do you even look at and are they the anomaly or are they a natural consequence of their education system? Like It's just way too complicated to look at it that way. But maybe if we just look at what the stories are intending to do and why the stories are told, that would help us understand what's happening within the stories and how humanity has experienced them.
2: What, can you, what, what are we examining again? How they're told? And
1: why, why Why they're told? What was the purpose? What's the intent of the stories?
2: How would you know that? How would you or know, at least how
1: they evolved. Well, <laughs> see... Okay. I guess the... If, you're right, we can't. We can't know what, but... With oral tradition it's a little bit more easy to tell than than with a book that's just written like or let's say something with a clear author like Aesop whoever he was was only writing down stories that had already existed before that and so even attributing it to him is kind of faulty um and then of course the same is true for fairy tales you can never attribute the story to the collector they're just collecting and then you know taking some liberties with the text but They're thousands of years old sometimes. Um, But if we're looking at a story that's come down to us through oral tradition, I think we can look at what effect that story has and try and hash out a little bit what that story might be trying to do to us.
2: Okay. I mean, I don't. You don't think so? Well, I mean, to me, it's safer territory to say what it does do to us than to say what it was trying to do to us, because I don't know what it's trying to do to us. But I don't know. Maybe it's just a semantic argument.
1: Okay. Well, then let's it, do that. It should
2: give us similar answers either way, right? Yeah,
1: <clears throat> it should. It should. But that's fair. We'll we'll look at what they do to us. I'll have to think about that more later, but okay. So what is the effect of the stories? Of fables?
0: And uh, then we'll I haven't
2: my first answer. You talk about fairy tales now. Why are you putting all the pressure on me?
1: The effect? But that was so broad. You said the effect of fables is that it gives us brilliant people like Socrates and Plato.
2: Yeah. Which means it's but how? There's apart from fairy there's so
1: many links between that. Like, it, how did what did it do to the child first before that child grew up to become Plato or Socrates or Aristotle?
2: The um, fine, I'll, I'll just stay on the hot seat. But
1: oh, I mean, I mean you, you know, don't like have if you to. just want to
2: put all the pressure on me, then that's fine. I can live with that. I have broad shoulders. <sighs> um, I think that the fable is an is a story that communicates to us natures. Yeah. And it communicates to us that there, that there are natures, that natures exist, that they are real and that they belong to everything. So dogs have natures and wolves have natures and foxes have natures and humans have natures, um, asses and horses and roosters, all of it, right? There's a nature to all of these things. And, and then, as part of that nature, they—they they were, I think, quite cleverly, uh, which I mean, in a positive sense, so brilliantly or wisely, able to connect those natures in many instances to virtues and vices,
1: mm-hmm.
2: and then the nature, and therefore the nature of the virtue and vices communi- that it exists and that it is that it and what it is is communicated to us through the story, but not ever in a way that tells us. It, mm-hmm. Or not. Well, I shouldn't say not ever in a way, but in a way that primarily shows us first mm-hmm. through the story, and that, and then that, and, and and so through the the reception of those stories, what's developed is what you know. What I learned from James Taylor as poetic knowledge, right? This poetic knowledge is is cultivated, is is developed, is is grown in the child or in the person um, that that there are natures that there are virtues that there are vices and that um these things are and then what they are and they become part of part of who we are And, and in doing so i think probably my favorite part about the fable um is that it does all of that but then in doing all of that it teaches us that the cosmos itself then has a um has a, a a way of all of these natures coexisting mm-hmm. with propriety, right? And that when when one nature when one nature is corrupted such that it it goes against itself or it, it corrupts its relationship to another, and so then it's interacting without propriety. Then the law of nature is that we you know we sometimes call it right. Mm-hmm. We all, often call it today the law of nature is then violated. But in the in the fables in the stories that are the fables, natural law enforces itself. Right? Like yeah. like the natural consequence of violating this nature is that this thing happens. Yep. Um, and so uh, it it there's like a justice element to it, but the justice is effected as a natural consequence of being something I'm not supposed to be or behaving in a way that I'm not supposed to behave according to my nature. Right. Yeah. And I think that's I think that's an important lesson for human beings, for children to learn. And I think that's what yeah. that's what I love about the fables. That they do all I
1: agree. That. That's what I love about fables as well. Um, and I remember as a child reading fables and I didn't realize until I became an adult, but there was something very comforting in the predictability and there, there's sense that I had an inner knowledge. I had an understanding. I knew who the Fox was. Mm -hmm. I knew who the crow was. Um, and when they came up in another fable, I knew them and there was something very comforting about that. Um, maybe, maybe it creates a sense of trusting the world and being able to, at least hope that you have a place in the world and that you can figure it out Mm -hmm. and and then the world isn't just chaos and who are you you don't know you got to figure out who you are but you decide and it's very confusing ambiguous for a child um so when i was an adult i was babysitting some family the other day months ago (laughs) wasn't the other day um and there was this movie and i've noticed this is a trend in modern films like disney movies do horrible things to fairy tales, and that's a different thing we can come to. But what they do to the to the films that are all animals, like um, there's one where they sing, mm-hmm. and then there's one- Do
2: you know what that one's called?
1: Is it called sing?
2: Yeah. Okay. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, there we go. Um, and then it's there's the one um, called Over the Hedge. Have you seen that one? Okay, well, I'm sure you can think of some that fit the same. Oh, there's one that Might might even be Sing. There's a famous or not a the popular scene where there's like a sloth at the counter. Is that yes. Sing? That Sing?
2: No, that's... Uh,
1: Zoo? Z- Zootopia? Zootopia, yeah. Okay, that one's perfect for this. I think Sing is too. Um, in all of these films, the animals are told, you know, let's say the animal is like a squirrel and everyone tells the squirrel, you can't be an elephant. You're a squirrel. Only elephants get to stomp around and squish squirrels or whatever it is. Right. Um, and the whole point of the movie is the squirrel learning that he can be an elephant if he dreams hard enough or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's horrifying to children, but fables, well, because it's teaching them that there's no such thing as nature, um, but fables like you said, do the opposite. And yeah. they, they affirm that things have a nature in and of themselves. So that's also what I love about fables. But in my experience, fairy tales also do that, but then do more as well.
2: Okay, so I, I think I know I think I know why what I would say that they do that's more. Okay. And and why I both like and dislike that thing.
1: Oh, I wonder but if it's I what I think. I know. About. So
2: I don't know if it's the same thing. So oh. you need to tell me what your thing is, and then I can tell you if that is my thing. Why I both like and dislike it, and then if it's not okay. my thing, then you'll have to ask me what my thing is, and I'll t- maybe I'll tell you.
1: I have a feeling it's not the same thing.
2: It's probably the same thing
1: because I think it does multiple things that fables don't do. But I don't. I don't think. It, I don't know if it's the same thing. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> we'll see. Okay, so fairy tales, like you mentioned, they're um, they have this act. Attribute of the otherworldly, of the fairy, right, that hmm. um, comes in from this other place. So a fairy tale requires that a human, usually a child, so there's always an element of person to it. There's always some aspect of personhood. The child enters into another world that is no longer our world. And that's really important for a fairy tale. If the fairy tale is literally 100% our world, it's just not a fairy tale. There has to be some aspect where someone leaves this world and enters into another world. And then in in that luminous space, that in-between, we can play around with reality in a way that we can't when we're just telling a true story on Earth. So we can take all of the attributes, all of the elements of story, all of the things that are distracting and confusing and set them aside and just take the fundamental most key parts of reality and present those. And I think that reality is ultimately patterned and ordered and structured. And so we can map those patterns into our fairy tales. So fairy tales take the archetype of myths while also combining those archetypes with the, I don't wanna say moralistic, but the um, ethical aspects of fables and blending them into a story that is directly pertaining to the human experience while removed enough from our physical world that we're able to see our world for what it is without all of the distractions and the the aspects in the true story that aren't necessary. Is that what you were thinking?
2: No, I don't, the, um, I didn't hear a distinction apart from the fairy element. I didn't hear a distinction between fairy tale and fable.
1: Well that it uses the myth, the archetype, the archetypes of myth, it takes those archetypes in order to present patterns of reality.
2: So the so the 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 inclusion of archetypes other than like squirrel nature or crow nature or elephant nature, the like fables would have, you know, elephant nature. Not elephant, but
1: yeah, I mean the things, things, yeah, those aren't necessarily archetypes.
2: archetypes. So this is yeah. archetype in the sense of like king or prince or stepmother or daughter. Or-
1: yeah, I mean you can have you can have plot archetypes or you can have character archetypes. Yeah, so it it could it could be that or it could be a story storyline. Archetypes are just patterns of eternal realities, eternal truths, eternal eternal patterns that are continually repeating themselves in existence. And we grab hold of them and we depict them in the the most readily available form. We embody those patterns that are always happening all the time. We just put them in story, which is really different from fables because fables are expressing the nature of things. And they're teaching a moral story to children, something about how they ought to relate to other people in the world, which is really important and beautiful. But it's not the same thing. It's far more Specific virtues that are being discussed rather than here's the nature of reality. We're going to lay it out for you No, I, I don't
2: follow there I don't follow you there. I don't see like, what's how the, the nature difference? of reality is not included in the fa- in the fable
1: Well natures are included in the fable, but the structure of reality itself and the patterns that we see in reality aren't included in fables. There might be some that do. I, I need a, I need a, I need an example
2: because I have no idea. I have no idea about
1: okay. that. So, like the pattern of death and resurrection. This is an archetype that we see all throughout the entire globe. The hero must transcend, must descend into death and ascend taking with him something that he has gained from his experience in the underworld he must come forth out of that and bring forth new life he must then ascend this is a pattern that we see all throughout stories all around the globe because oh, yeah. it's true because that is the nature of
2: reality I don't I don't think of those as archetypes like that that pattern of the story I wouldn't call that an archetype but uh but I see, I I mean, I I see what you mean, that that sort of pattern, that's, that pattern of story is not found in the fable. Yeah.
1: I mean, it's fine if you don't want to think about plot archetypes. You can think about character archetypes, like the great father or the great mother or the prince.
2: Yeah, I'm just not, I'm just not used to hearing people refer to plots as having archetypes. There's, there's another term that I'm familiar with using, it, but I can't remember what it is right now. So, mm. but it doesn't matter. It's, I, it's, I see your point.
1: I wonder what term that is. Maybe I should be using the other term. I don't know. Um, but I mean, if we, if we think about the great father or the great mother archetype, um, that those aren't played out in fairy t- in fables either. Mm-hmm. But fairy tales give us a really crucial understanding about the nature of reality through those archetypes.
2: Okay. I can see that I don't I mean we could probably fuss over the degree of how crucial um I mean in a world of fables like in the world that that did that with fables they had that element in the myths and then but then the fairy tale is a kind of conjoining of the two yeah um so clearly it was needed but they just didn't do it with the fables they did it with the myths so
1: yeah I that's true
2: that's that's grantable I
1: think that a culture that tells tons and tons of myths and tons and tons of fables is really not missing a ton by not having fairy tales. But adding fairy tales in would certainly help because it adds that aspect of humanity, like neither myths nor fables deal exclusively with humans, or deal fundamentally essentially with humans, whereas fairy tales do. So I think it is valuable to add that element for a child to help them understand where they fit into it potentially. Um, But I think a, a culture that tells tons and tons of fairy tales won't be excluding essential elements from the myths and the fables. So if I had to choose one fairy tales or fables, I think I'd stick with fairy tales. Now if we threw in myths, obviously myths trump them all. But Obviously. Obviously.
2: Um Interesting. So that's not that's not the thing that I that I that was that's that was not the thing that I was thinking of that I said that I
1: Yeah, what were you thinking of?
2: Both like and dislike. Um I was thinking about the aspect of of justice that comes in from the supernatural elements. Okay. So like in, in, in uh, Cinderella, you know, the birds come and pick out the eyes of the sisters. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, elements like that. Right. And, um, so I was thinking that, you know, one of the, the, the glories of the fairy tale is that it brings in a kind of divine justice as it were. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, that God is ensuring, ensuring justice. Uh Um, I wonder how much of that is from our later compilers than the earliest versions.
1: I bet it's not. Cause in my experience, tracing fairy tales, if you look at the ones before the collections of the 17th and 18th century, if you look at the earlier versions, which are super hard to find and usually were oral, but if you can find copies of them and trace how they changed, the earlier ones are more supernatural. And people tended to call them more superstitious, but they're actually rooted in a deeper, or they were rooted in a different form of Christianity than most of the ones that we have received in the 17th and 18th centuries, because Christianity changed so much. So most of the ones that we get are the superstition has been removed post Reformation in most of the versions that we now have.
2: In um, in a in a very short and not thorough, I will grant, study of the Grimm collection, mm-hmm.
1: uh,
2: the Grimm brothers edited their versions over the years and released new editions of the same stories.
1: Uh-huh.
2: And, uh huh. And it's interesting to me because in the classical education world, you get people that want the more gruesome version. Mm-hmm. But those are typically not the first, those are not the earlier ones for Grimm. Hmm. Like the ones that Grimm, the Grim brothers, the earlier ones that the Grimms released are often the less, the less gruesome versions. And oh. they actually become more gruesome as time progresses yeah. or as the later editions progress. But I don't know if that's the case in every single story. You know, there's I'm sure there's some exceptions, but mm-hmm. Um, and and it may be I may even be wrong about whether it's the majority of them or the minority of them, but but there are plenty that get less gruesome or more gruesome with later editions. Mm-hmm. Um, whatever that ratio is to the ones that can become more less gruesome or whatever.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Anyways, so my my thing with um, with the fairy tales with this respect with respect to justice being divine is that it, it teaches, it teaches on the positive side, the part that I like about it, right. Is that it Mm -hmm. teaches us that God, um, that God, uh, what's what I'm trying to think of the right way to to express it, but, um, that God hates sin, that God, um, Mm -hmm. loves justice, that God loves the good, um, uh, mm-hmm. you know, to call evil good and good evil is, is a wickedness right Yeah. and that and that God and, and also that God loves his people and, and his saints and that God is a um, uh, a defender of his people as it were right that Christ defends the bride um, mm-hmm. and that the fairy tales communicate all of that and they teach us all of that uh, the part that I don't like about it this is I don't want to be careful how I say this, but the part that I don't like about it is that it teaches us that God is the bringer of justice. <laughs> and I don't know how to okay. say that the right way. Right. But what I mean, I don't know. I don't even know what I mean exactly in words, but what I mean is like, is like it, it if I, okay, so let me put it this way. let i am trying to make an analogy to see if I can okay. like, bring clarity to my thoughts. Um, if a little kid does something disobedient to what his parents have taught him, told him, mm-hmm. right? Mom and dad set some rules. He breaks the rule, and nothing happens. Like mom and dad don't find out. Nobody tells on him. Nobody catches him, and then nothing—nothing nothing happens as a consequence of that.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Then. Um then, then the good and evil or the right and wrongness of the act can become dependent on if he gets caught. Like if mom and dad catch him and then he gets a spanking or something like that, right? Or yeah. gets disciplined in some way. Now there's now there's mom and dad kind of representing representing divine justice in that sense, right? Now there's a right and wrongness to it because I got caught. Yeah. I mean, people talk about this now, right? Like, oh, the only reason he apologized is he wasn't sorry for what he did. He was sorry he got caught. Right. Like that kind of idea. Mm -hmm. Whereas, whereas what the fables teach us is that um, that the violation of a nature, my own or the other parties right in the in the relationship um, is itself. It it disciplines itself, right? Like, like to be slothful means this is what's going to happen in my in in the world, right? To to um to act in this way means this sort of thing happens, even if the consequence isn't felt immediately, right? The violation of natural of the order of nature is itself brings about its own consequences yeah. Like, like, yeah. like if I tell my kid don't touch the stove you'll be burned you'll get burned
0: uh-huh. what I
2: don't mean is if you touch that stove I'm going to go get some fire and melt your flesh right yeah. what I, like as a punishment <laughs> what I mean is that the stove is hot and if you touch it you will get a burn on there and then I have to come in and put some sort of ointment on it to heal you right and, and I think that there's I think that there's a lot of a lot of education that goes on, that that thinks about justice as this, this third party bringer of it. Right. Right. God, mom, dad, the government, president, whatever. Right. Yeah. And, and what the fables teach us is that is that there's a, a, a sense of a kind of justice that is, um, that is just, just merely the natural consequence of violating nature.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I've been thinking about this a lot lately. So it's interesting that you bring that up because I've been wondering if this is a modern distinction, if perhaps in these older stories, there was no difference between God coming in and bringing about justice versus nature bringing about justice. So this is where we get these myths of mother nature coming back. Or I was thinking about this in relation to the flood and Let me just say, I like to entertain ideas, not knowing if I believe them. So please don't attack me on this one. I'm just exploring thought. But I was wondering to myself, what if God didn't send the flood? Now bear with me. What if what happened was mankind became so sinful and so evil, that they consumed all things, that they brought about their own destruction. And somehow, some way, their sin was so deep that they did a sin that actually caused the whole world to flood. And then the flood came and swept them all away, wiped them out. And only those who hadn't committed the sin were able to continue living, which, you know, was a very small population. And then their experience of that was okay, God sent the flood. Um, but actually, yes, God did send the flood in the sense that God created a cosmos that has natural repercussions. When you, when you commit a sin, when you defy wow. nature, nature comes back to get you because that's the natural consequence. Hmm. And you could say that that's God's hand because God created that. Or you could say that it's nature, it's mother nature coming back. Hmm. But I think that it's possible that in the ancient world, There was no distinction between the two, like saying that it's Zeus or that it's God or that it's Mother Nature whatever is was no different in their mind than from saying we brought this upon ourselves. This is our actions cause us like. So the, so what you're saying about fables, how they teach us, okay, we have, our actions have a natural consequence, but fairy tales make it seem like an external source. I think it's possible that when these stories were originating and being told, they didn't think of those two as separate things.
2: Right. And I think that goes back to why, I, I, well, that might go back to that original distinction about what was intended versus what actually happens. Yeah, and I don't know what was intended, and maybe that was the intention, but I think what happens is when children encounter those stories today, those are the two kinds of lessons they learn. They could, they would, they might learn, hmm. could learn.
1: Because the source seems so external, I can see that.
2: And it's, it's, um, like, like I said, that's not a, and I, mean, I mean this, that's not a bad lesson, right? God does hate evil. God does love the good. God does love his people. God does defend his people. I get all of that, right? I'm, I'm on board with all of that.
1: Yeah. Um,
2: I'm an, I mean, I am not a heretic. Um, I don't
1: most know. Of the you've time.
2: got tattoos.
1: <laughs> but. <laughs> it is it's just a countenance of a cross. <laughs> um, <laughs> you
2: covered the, me. Uh, you made me self-conscious. Gosh. Sorry. Um,
1: I have the same tattoo. <laughs>
2: the, uh. Yeah, it was twinsies. Yeah. Um, stop, stop, stop. Trying to think. Okay. So I, I, I think all of that is true. And that's a good lesson for children to learn. I, what yes. I think, though, is that in the just in the modern world, everything around us is teaching us that justice comes in from an external cause. The police, yeah. the government, the breath, you know, whatever. Right. Mom and dad. Uh, my teacher. Mm-hmm. And then, and then in a, in the Christian home, that's being reinforced by bringing God in as the, as the bringer of justice through, you know, Bible stories and, and Sunday school and all of that stuff. Right.
0: Yeah. And
2: there's, 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 there's a, a, a lack of teaching that says there's, there's nature itself, the violation of my being has consequences, right? The violation of yeah. my nature and my essence. The violation of the frog's nature and essence. And, and 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 not having that lesson, right, is what opens the door to to you know one at the most childish level. It's what opens the door to um, well, as long as I don't get caught, this is okay, right? Mm-hmm. Um, like I've, I've I've literally heard preachers tell me or say from not to me but from the pulpit. Um, that you should not go to uh, uh, the, a gentleman's club, girly bar, because what if Jesus comes back while you're there? Well, huh. now, I mean, I, I didn't know that if I asked this follow-up <laughs> question, they would answer it correctly, but there's just something weird about it, right? Like yeah. Jesus knows if I'm there, whether he comes back or not, right? Yeah. But, you know, I, and I get it, but it's just kind of a weird way to think about, like, like even that kind of experience, is revela- revelatory, right? That that we kind of have that mindset yeah. when it comes to it. Yeah. So on the most childish level, there's this sense of well, as long as I don't get caught, nothing bad will happen. There are no consequences, right? And then, but then at the at the the more extreme level, it's well, let's try cloning humans because well, who's who's going to what's gonna punish me for it? Right? There's no there's no bringer of justice. Right. Around, I'm not getting caught, so that I can do this without realizing that the violation of nature's is itself going to be the punishment, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, that's a really good point. Hmm, I think that I think that I'd have to really weigh that. I have to spend time with that and think about whether that is more or less important than the presentation of reality and archetypes that fairy tales present to see which one I think is better for teaching. But you've changed my mind. Not completely. I'm not like, okay, it's fables now, but I'm surprised. There's, I wouldn't toss them out. (laughs)
2: This is why we can be
1: friends. (laughs) We learn
2: from each other, it's
1: brilliant. Yeah, that's good. That's, that's a very important point, And I'm going to spend time
2: with that. I want to, um, I want to think about the, I don't know if we have time right now, but what I want to think okay. about, like, like my emphasis is on the nature of things and <laughs> then nature's justice, if I can mm-hmm. put it that way. And your, your emphasis is on the archetype of things. Yeah. Right, and teaching reality through the archetypes, teaching reality through nature, teaching reality through archetypes, which are two different things, right?
1: Well, um, I would say not teaching reality through archetypes as much as I mean this is semantic, but I do think it matters. Teaching archetypes is teaching nature itself. The structure of reality itself. While teaching the nature of things is teaching the nature of things.
2: Which is part of the structure of reality itself,
0: though,
1: there, it's pieces to the puzzle, right? But it's like if you're if, if we're talking if we're looking at the stars, fables are looking at each individual star and learning each star, but fa- but fairy tales look at the whole constellation and say, okay, all of these stars come together to make this picture. I think.
2: Okay, the analogy is new enough to me that. I don't know how to think about it immediately. Okay. okay. Uh, so I'm going to have to it's sit new to with me this too. one. <laughs> it's new um, to me, too.
1: I don't even know if I agree with it. I just It's just the first one that came to mind.
2: Yeah, because I, I think a discussion of archetypes... But, like, like, we've talked about archetypes before, right? The Halloween episode, which I think was yeah. the first one. Yeah. Um, well, the first one that we released. I think it was, like, the second I or third think, one we yeah. recorded. But anyways... Um, the Halloween one was a, was a discussion of the archetypes and symbols Mm -hmm. of Halloween. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: So we've talked about archetypes before. uh, But I think too, in the Homer, the, uh, the Homer as a monotheist episode, we talked about archetypes. Oh, we probably
1: did. They tend to come up a lot.
2: So it's like, it's it's weird, right? Because I know, I know what archetypes are in these, in these examples, right? Mm -hmm. I know what they communicate to us. I know what they teach us. Um, but I don't know – I don't know why knowing them – well, I don't want to say it this way because it sounds really dumb. But I don't know if I could express why knowing them is better than not knowing them or or knowing them intentionally is better than knowing them – Accidentally, not accidentally, but like just experientially only, right? Not
1: yeah. right. Okay, passively, okay. intentionally and
2: passively, right? Right. Oh, and, and, and I don't know why knowing them in the form that they come in the fairy tales is better than, than just knowing natures through fables apart from the analogy of would I rather know the individual stars or the whole constellation. Well, I'd rather know the whole constellation, but is that really what fairy tales are versus fables? I don't know. So that's the part I got to sit with that. Yeah.
1: So I'll, I'll think about that more, but my initial response to that and the way I've thought about it up to this point is I was listening to, well, I've had a couple therapists that I've talked to about this. Um, And they've said that in order for them to diagnose, like, actual depression, not like, okay, I'm sad, but real depression, um, the person, the patient has to experience a breakdown of reality. They don't know what's real anymore. They don't know, um, they can't turn their life into a story. They can't see where they fit within that story. They can't understand what's happened to them to such a a degree that it's as though all reality has shattered. Like, you don't realize until you've experienced something like that, that you think about the world like a painting. Like, you think about the world in this largely cohesive whole, and you see images, and you can kind of place things together. But then, when you experience something that breaks you, it's like everything shatters, and you're and you're like, oh, this thing that I thought was this isn't, and this thing I thought was this mm-hmm. isn't. Nothing. This might the 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 thing that was the painting became a puzzle, and the, the pieces fell apart, and I can't even put them back together anymore. Um, so that's that's what trauma is. So I think to bolster ourselves as human and to give our children the best. um, not medicine, because that's after, but the best... What would medicine be before Like the nutrients that we take to not get sick?
2: Prenatal vitamins.
1: <laughs> the best prenatal vitamins for life! <laughs> um, to, to, to bolster children and make them able to withstand all that life is going to throw at them. We need to give them a true picture of reality. I think it's absolutely essential that we understand what reality is. So that when horrible things happen to us, when anything in life happens to us, we can say, oh yes, this fits within the nature of reality. I know my my conception of reality is big enough that I can weave this new event that's happened into what I believe reality to be. And we're like, this is the word, this is what it means to be a human and travel through life. We start with the tapestry, telling the story of life and whatever we think life is. Mom is good. Dad is good. I'm here at home with my siblings and I'm safe. I go out into the unknown and come back and I'm safe. Hopefully, that's our tapestry at the beginning of life and we have that picture. And then something happens. We go out and we get someone steals our bike and we come back and we have to weave that into our new understanding of, of reality so we're unweaving and then we're bringing in something new and we're reweaving and the ability to withstand life is the ability to unweave and reweave all the time to make our conception of reality as true as accurate as robust as it can possibly be mm-hmm. So fairy tales do that fairy tales give us they give us a broader tapestry they, they give us more things to weave into our conception of reality. And what's really crucial is that they're true, right? And our conception of reality has to be true or it will not serve us. And fairy tales give us a true conception of reality. So you might be a child at home who has no experience of the father. You don't know what benefits the father adds to culture, to society, to human existence. But you know from fairy tales... Oh, actually, the good father is the one who provides tradition and security and order. And sometimes they do that through laws, but they're always bringing about order. And that's that's what the father does. That's not just our experience of them or that's not just what they can do. But that is father, capital F, father, the archetype. Um, Anyway, so so regardless of what our experience is at home, fairy tales can give us a robust enough conception of reality to be able to withstand this really terrible life that we all have to live.
2: Wow. You <laughs> sounded so much like your father in that last sentence. Um,
1: <laughs> How dare you.
2: <laughs> the uh, the I, There's a part of me that still thinks that fables do what you're saying. But... I need to sit with it a little bit longer.
1: Okay.
2: So I propose... Okay. That we come... Well, I mean, we almost certainly will, but I propose that we intentionally come back around to an archetypes conversation. Or I... okay, Okay. Or, or, or you just bring... Carl Jung on in my place, interview him for a little while. Or, or I mean, I don't know. Whatever. I would love
1: to, but it's not an option.
2: Jordan Peterson or Jonathan <laughs> Peugeot or somebody, right? Um,
1: if you're listening to this, you're invited. Either Peterson or Peugeot.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Either of them are listening to this. <laughs> yeah, guys. <laughs> um, so listen up. <laughs> Then uh, no, maybe then you then, should uh,
1: talk to them though, so they can explain it all to you in a better way. Than I can. <laughs> I'm the
2: one that needs more help right now. Um, <laughs> I yeah, think I've it, listened
1: to all of Peterson's videos. There's none left for me to hear oh, wow. unless he comes out with new ones, which he did. He just released his biblical series. He re-recorded it. Oh, did he really? Yeah, on YouTube and on his website. Nice. Yeah.
2: Um. Yeah. Let's do that. Come back this
1: episode sponsored by Jordan Peter. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to get into legal trouble. Right. <laughs> okay, yeah, we can come back around. Because I do really want to sit with the benefits of the fables now and see if if it's more beneficial to have that poetic knowledge of things having a nature or if it's more beneficial to have that poetic knowledge of the nature of reality itself. Uh, I don't know that we can answer that question but I think I want to play with it a little bit in my mind
2: yeah because the the one thing that fables do I guess I'll just say kind of like my final word okay Uh, the the thing that fables do is that they present us with things that have a nature but they present us with those things of nature in relationship with one another so it's not like this the star that is represented by the crow's nature is all by itself and then you know over here you have the Raven's nature. Um, why did I just pick? That? <laughs> <Not even. laughs> the crow's nature and the dog's nature, right? Um, the uh, the uh, I mean, in any given story, those two are together, and they're. Relating to each other, right? True. And then in another story, the crow is relating to another kind of creature, and the dog. In another story, the dogs related to another kind of creature, and, and so then you get over the whole yeah. thing. I think all the whole collection of fables together gives you all those different relationships and allows you to see the big picture, the whole picture, right? Yeah. But you're only seeing it not not a star at a time, but like two stars at a time, three stars at a time, right? In the in the in the individual fable.
1: Yeah, that's true. I wonder if that's robust enough to create a pattern. Like archetypes are intentionally patterns of eternal realities. I wonder if that is enough types to create a pattern that's visible to a child. I'll think about it. And then we'll come back. Yeah. Yeah, we'll come back. So, tomorrow? (laughs) Very good. Thank you. And thank you.
0: Thank you for joining us on Quiddity as we refreshed ourselves at Cisterns of Learning dug long ago, Drawing from Springs Too Deep for Taint. And thank you for not turning off this episode when I had a little too much fun with the introduction. Join us next week for another conversation and be sure to check out the other shows on the Cersei Podcast Network.